We sang about being willing to have the Lord teach us his will. And as we interact with the book of Mark this morning, I trust that you're open and sensitive to the Lord and desire to be willing to apply his word in daily living. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. So I've been studying and reading through Mark. I've been having a blast. Uh, I'm going to say having a blast. I've really been enjoying myself. God's really been challenging me. Been seeing a different side of Christ than maybe I may have seen in some ways in the past, but being challenged to love him more and more. Mark chapter 1, reading together verses 1 through 13. Mark 1, 1 through 13. In the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from, or came from heaven. You are my son, my love. With you I am well pleased. At once a Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. You know, sometimes as I have listened to speakers, and you probably do the same with me, you ask yourself the question, why should I even listen to what this guy has to say? Let me give you a couple reasons why you should listen this morning concerning knowing your identity knowing Christ's identity, because it is important in daily living. Last summer when we went to the Dominican Republic, we were coming back from the Dominican Republic, I walked up to the counter as we were going to check in. And as they checked me in and gave me my seating assignment, I thought to myself, that's unusual, that I'm going to be in about row 8, and the rest of them are going to be in row 38 or 39. And I didn't question it beyond that. I thought, that's nice. You know, I get to sit further front in the plane. Well, then we went to check into our gate. And again, had to go through a process of checking in. And the guy looked at my passport and he looked at my seating assignment. He said, I'm sorry, I can't let you through. You have to go back to the counter because your passport and your seating assignment don't match. So the rest of them checked through and waited on me, and I went back to the counter, and I said I was told to come back here because my seating assignment doesn't match with my passport. She checked it out, and she said, you're right, and she gave me a new seating assignment with the rest of those I was traveling with. 
See, my identity was sort of very critical. Ruth Ann and I have been to Ghana a number of times. We get off the plane and we walk into the airport. When you get into the airport, you see a couple rows or a couple lines, and one of them is those who are citizens of Ghana. And another one is U.S. citizens. My identity determines which line I go in. In seventh grade, as I went off to Middleburg Joint High School, I had an older brother, Orv. Orv was a senior when I was in seventh grade. My identity, to some extent, in high school was tied in with my older brother, Orv, and my next older brother, Bob. So I would walk into one class in particular, and what's your name, Dan Brubaker? Oh, yeah, I know your brothers. My identity gave me some rights that no one else had in the class because the teacher happened to take a liking to my two older brothers. And I got that same liking. Whether you think it's wise or not, when it came to grades, he would call me up to the front and he'd say, Dan, what do you think you ought to have for this marking period? My identity made a difference. Jesus, as we're going to find in Mark, chapter 1, 9 through 13, had an identity which made a difference in how he lived and how he responded. Knowing who you are will make a difference in how you respond as a man, a woman, a husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a child, an employer, an employee, a student, a driver, and so on. Let's reread verses 9 through 13 of Mark 1. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And once a Spirit sent him out into the desert. And he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with wild animals, and angels attended him. In verses 1 through 8, John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus Christ. And in the text, immediately before Jesus comes on the scene, John said, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And then the text says at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth. Obviously, John was ministering. John the Baptist was preparing the way for Christ, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That preparation being complete, Jesus Christ comes on the scene and was to be baptized by John in the Jordan. By this time, Jesus is probably about 30 years old. And probably the majority of his first 30 years were spent as a carpenter. Believed his father was a carpenter. He was probably a carpenter as the eldest son. He probably oversaw his family, which comes out in chapter 1 when his family, I'm sorry, it's chapter 3, came after him and wanted to, you know, straighten him out because he was going out of his mind, at least they thought so. So we find Jesus coming on the scene. He's coming from Nazareth. 
We're dealing with a person who lived in Nazareth. Also one who spent 10 11th of his life in what we call ordinary living. He would have been at home interacting with his family. Then as he get older, probably helped his dad and then probably went into carpentry. Sometimes we think about Jesus and the work that Jesus did. But don't forget the first 30 years. So we find Jesus coming to John the Baptist, came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Mark says very little about his baptism. The other writers say just a little bit. But it's interesting that the one who was preparing the way for Jesus is the one who baptized him. So he's been baptized, and as Jesus is coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being tore open, and the Spirit of God descending in him like a dove. I'm of the conviction that as we see the text and what he says, Jesus saw heaven being torn open. That it is very, very strong wording. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 64 and verse 1 was the first to speak of the heavens being torn open when Messiah returns. It appears in Jewish literature for majestic demonstrations of God's power. It is also used later in Mark when Christ died and the veil in the temple was torn. Basically, heaven being torn open is a demonstration of God's power. Stating that we're dealing with something that is very, very great. It's beyond human resources. So heaven's being torn open. And what does Jesus see? Jesus sees a spirit descending on him like a dove. God's spirit descending and a voice. You're my son. With you I am well pleased. Obviously, the Lord is speaking, sharing concerning his view of Christ. Remember that Christ had lived 30 years at home, probably as a carpenter. God was well pleased with him. And this is at the, public, at the beginning of what we call his public ministry. Perhaps we need to be reminded of the fact that God was well pleased with the first 30 years of Christ's life. not merely what he was going to do. He apparently walked with his father and had communion with his father the first 30 years. And what does the voice from heaven say with, or you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased.
the identity of Christ is clearly stated. You're my son, you're God's son, whom I love. And I am well pleased with you. The one that John spoke of in verses 1 through 8 is the son of God, as stated in verse 1. God loves him, and God is pleased with him. I think it is very, very significant that the voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. His identity is clearly stated. And as you read through the epistles, it seems like God considers our identity as believers in Christ as being very critical because many of the epistles begin by sharing concerning our identity. And I'll comment more on that in the future. It's also interesting that he had his father's blessing. Jesus hears, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. As followers of Christ today, as those who follow Jesus in that day, seeing Christ for who he is, makes a difference in how we follow. We won't turn there, but in Numbers chapter 14, Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egypt. For some two years, he has been leading them through the desert. They come to Kadesh Barnea, where they are going to go into the promised land. And we know that 12 spies are sent into the promised land. They return. Ten of them say, we can't take the land. Two of them say, we can take the land. We know that the ten spies swayed the whole nation and they mumbled and groaned against Moses. And Moses cries out to God because God said, you know, I'll wipe him out and I'll make you into a great nation. And Moses knew God. He'd walk with God. And he says, God, don't. Because the Egyptians will hear about it. You're a God who is quick to forgive. You're a God of mercy. You're a God of compassion. And Moses interceded for the entire nation. And as I think about that, Moses had tremendous freedom in talking to God because he didn't know about God. He knew God. Jesus knew his father. His father was pleased with him at this point in life and as he prepares to do what we call go into ministry. What happens next? At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert, and he was in the desert 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. It's very interesting that the text says, heard a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you, and I, with, you are not, with you I am well pleased. And at once he sent out into the desert. What we might call a high point and then being sent into the desert to be tempted by Satan, to be with wild animals, 
Take our Bibles and go to Mark, or Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Looking for a few moments upon Matthew and what he says about Christ being in the desert. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now notice the dynamics of what is happening. Jesus is in the desert, he's being tempted, and the tempter comes to him, If you are the Son of God. What had God just told him? You are my son, whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. And the devil, the serpent, comes along. Satan comes along and says, If you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. And Jesus responds by quoting scripture. Verse 5, Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, Follow or throw yourself down, for it is written... He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Notice again, if you are the Son of God. God had stated he was the Son of God, and Christ quotes Scripture. Verse 8, again, the devil took him into a very high temple and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written... Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels attended him. There is a direct parallel in each of the Gospels between Christ and who he is and how he responded to the temptation. The very thing that God said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, is under attack. By the enemy, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And each time Christ knows who he is and he quotes scripture. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. So I want to contrast Jesus Christ with Adam. Contrast Jesus Christ, the second Adam, with the first Adam. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. Adam has been created. Eve has not been yet formed from Adam's rib. In Genesis 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So God gave Adam clear instructions. He was to care for the garden. That was his work to do. And he was not to eat from the trees in the garden. Or not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Then we know that Adam had a rib taken out of him. Eve was formed. Then we get to chapter 3 and verse 1. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the, any tree in the garden? I find it interesting that the serpent came to the woman when the instruction was given to Adam. The woman said to the serpent, we meet fruit from the trees that is in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When the serpent came to Eve, Adam was there. Why didn't Adam say, hold it, serpent? I got the word from God. You talk to me. Don't talk to my wife. I was created first. Why didn't Adam quote scripture? Quote what God said to the serpent. He stood quietly by his wife's side. Just to contrast the first Adam and the second Adam, the first Adam was in the Garden of Eden, a very beautiful setting. The second Adam was in the wilderness. The first Adam was tempted by the serpent, Satan. The second Adam was also tempted by Satan. The first Adam heard God's word, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The second Adam heard God's word, Mark chapter 1, verse 11, along with Matthew chapter 4. The first Adam was passive. He didn't resist. The second Adam was aggressive. He used God's word. The first Adam was silent. The second Adam spoke. The first Adam yielded to doubt. The second Adam resisted doubt. The first Adam had his choice plunge a human race into sin. The second Adam's choice provided for Jesus to conquer sin and Satan. We're in the first Adam, but the second Adam, Jesus Christ, is God's son, whom God says, I love. With you I am well pleased, and as he is in the desert, being tempted for 40 days, he is victorious. A marked difference between the first Adam and the second Adam. And as you look at Mark chapter 1, 1 through 13, we find in verse 1 that the gospel is about Jesus Christ. That's what Mark is about. Verses 
2 through 8, the messenger who prepared the way. Verses 9 through 13, the testimony concerning the message of Jesus Christ. And the balance of Mark is based upon verses 1 through 13. The reason Jesus could cast out demons, the reason he could teach with authority, the reason he could resist Satan is because of who he was. And the balance of Mark demonstrates that to be true. And coming to climax when he goes to the cross and rises from the dead, demonstrating who he is. God's son, whom God loves, with whom God is well pleased. Because Christ was God's son. He could perform miracles. He could teach with authority and so on. And we can read this portion of scripture. We can discuss it. What does it look like in life? A couple thoughts. If you're a believer in Christ, we relate to Jesus. If you're a believer in Christ, we relate to Jesus who is unique. He's one of a kind. He's the good news. We relate to the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And we, if you're a believer, you've experienced that with the Spirit of God living within. We're relating to the one who is God's son. We're relating to the one who his father is well pleased with him. We're relating to the one who is yielded to God's Spirit. We're relating to the one who is able to resist Satan. He's the one who lives within us and works in us. As you go to work tomorrow, as you go to school tomorrow, as you shop tomorrow or Wednesday or whenever, think about the one who we relate to. You're struggling with something. Think about the fact that Christ, the one who is living within us, is unique. He's God's son. He yielded to the Spirit of God. He baptizes with the Holy Spirit. His Father is pleased with him. We relate to him. We don't know facts about him. We know him. That makes a difference in the way we live moment by moment. Also coming from this passage, John the Baptist's message was about Jesus Christ, not you or me. Come to know Jesus. Experience him. Don't read Mark and say, what's it have to do with me? See Jesus. And that makes a big difference in how we live. Jesus Christ was tempted and victorious. Thus, he can help us in our temptation. Do you ever think about the fact that, you know, the enemy seems to be pretty strong as you read scripture, seems to have had a lot of power. But Christ was tempted and he was victorious. And he's the one with whom we have a relationship He's the one who is at work in our lives. 
with a power that is beyond what we can ask or even comprehend. So when tempted, the one who is victorious is at work. So you're ready to get upset at your co-worker tomorrow. You know, Christ is at work in me. He's the one who was victorious over Satan. And that same power is available to me in my day-by-day living. Jesus Christ, knowing he was God's son, as stated in chapter 1 and verse 11, seems to be intimately related to Jesus' victory when tempted. Jesus, knowing that he was God's son, that being stated, God was pleased with him, he was loved by his father, seems to be intimately related to the temptation and he's resisting the temptation. So my question is, is it possible, knowing our identity in Christ, as a believer, is also vital in walking with and knowing God? So as you get up tomorrow morning, as you live your life this week, who are you? A saint. If you're a believer in Christ, you're a saint. You're related to God. Jesus Christ is at work in you. And because of Christ, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're reconciled. Along with a host of other items. The identity makes a difference in how we live. So on a negative, maybe in the negative side of your teacher, I could sit in the study hall when I was in seventh grade. I could lean over to my friend and talk all I wanted, and the teacher never said a word to me. But anyone else who talked other than my brother got in trouble. My identity, I was a brewbaker. I was related to Orville. I was related to Bob. And for some reason, the teacher liked Orville and Bob, so he liked me. I was a brewbaker. And he would allow Orville and me to sit and talk in that study hall, and no one else could. I'm not saying that he was right or wrong. That's not my point. But my identity made a difference in how I lived. I took advantage of that. I'm not saying that was right either. (laughs) But I did. But it goes back to identity. So tomorrow, you're shopping. And you have some kids with you, some of your own. And they're not angels. You know, I'm loved, I'm accepted by God. I I get out of this store and I just yell at my kid. No, God's still at work in you. Identity makes a big, big difference in how we live and how we respond in day-by-day living. As Ruth Ann and I have traveled at times, <clears throat> there's one thing that I always took very good care of, and that was my passport, because that was my identity. As we were going to get on the plane <clears throat> the last time we were in Ghana, we got in line and just about to get onto the plane, and someone came through the line and was checking some passports. Not everyone's, 
I don't know why they picked some people, but they asked Ruth Ann and I for a passport, and Ruth Ann dug and dug and dug and couldn't find her passport. She got a little nervous. Because what if we had get on the plane without the passport and got to Ghana and didn't have a passport? Lo and behold, when we had been sitting in the waiting area to board the plane, for some reason, it had been left lay on the seat. Her passport was her identity. Christ is our identity. Let's live and respond in light of that. Are you a saint? Or are you a sinner? Have you come to faith in Christ? Do you know Jesus, the Son of God, who was victorious over Satan? Are you walking with him? As we think about this message, and we sing together in just a moment about Christ, Stop and think about how has God ministered to you through his word this morning. Travis?